Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian and I'm the pastor there and it's good to talk to you again. Have you ever encountered an unlikely hero? The kind of person who was least likely to win the big game or save the day and yet they do it anyway? Today we're going to talk about an unlikely hero that we find in the pages of the Bible. It's someone that you just simply would not expect to be used by God in a great way. And yet here this person is, a big part of God's story. It's the kind of story that gives us hope and encouragement. Because we're not perfect people. But yet, God will use us if we'll let Him. We'll talk about that today. And I hope you enjoy this. I hope you listen closely. Because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. If you were to take your Bible and open up towards the back, you flipped your way to the right towards the end of the book, eventually you'd come to a book with the title of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find a chapter that is fairly well known. In fact, many people would call it the Faith Hall of Fame. Is how we would normally refer to that chapter. And in that chapter, the author of Hebrews lists some of the the great people who have displayed great faith in God throughout the centuries. If you were to read through Hebrews chapter 11, you would find a number of the usual suspects, the people that we would expect to be there. You would read and you would find names like Abraham and Noah, David, Moses, the kind of names that you would think would be there. In fact, the kind of names that even if you don't normally go to church, even if it's been a while since you've cracked your Bible open or opened the Bible app, uh, there might be names that you've heard before. Moses and David and Noah, those names are familiar to many of us. And in the chapter 11, there's some obscure names, some names that you may not normally Uh, here, or names that if you don't go to church, you're not necessarily familiar with. Names like Abel and Enoch, but still people who did great things for God, great people of faith. But if you were to look closely at Hebrews chapter 11, right there in verse 31, you would find a name that you might be surprised is there. Right there in Hebrews chapter, 31, verse, chapter 11, verse 31, is the name of a woman. And that in and of itself isn't necessarily surprising. And even her name itself, her name is Rahab, is not necessarily surprising. It's the qualifying words that follow after the name Rahab that really don't seem like they should be in the Faith Hall of Fame. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, we read, By faith. Rahab, the prostitute. I don't know about you, but the prostitute is not the words that I would expect to follow the name of someone who finds themselves in the great chapter that we refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame. The prostitute is not the qualifying phrase that I would expect to be among the names of David and Abraham and Moses and Noah, yet there she is. 
And if you were to flip a little bit further to the right in your Bible, you'd come the next book, the book of James. And in James chapter 2, the author is making this argument that if you believe something, if you have faith in something, it will be displayed in your actions. And so the author says, if you're someone that says you have faith in God, it better show up in how you live your life. Because what we do and what we believe, what we have faith in, are inextricably linked. You can't separate the two, the author is trying to say to us, the reader. And so if you're going to be someone who says you have faith in God, then somewhere it better show up in how you live live your life. And the author is making this broad point, and James feels like he needs two examples to make this point clear. The first example he gives of all the people that have lived and followed God in all the generations, he says, I'll do two examples to make this point that faith and works are important together. His first example is Abraham. Makes sense. Abraham is the father of a nation. Abraham, if you know the story, is someone that shows up very early on in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the book. And God calls him. And Abraham makes this bold move to follow God to a land that God says he'll show him later. He'll tell him when he gets there. And Abraham goes and he follows and he he fathers an entire nation through his obedience and faithfulness to God. And so we say, James, if you're going to come up with an example, Abraham's a great one. James uses a second example. And of all the people who have followed God across all the generations, James says, here's two examples of people that have combined faith and works. The first is Abraham, the father of a nation, the father of God's people. And the second is Rahab. And just so we're not confused that the author of Hebrews is talking about a different Rahab than the author of James, James makes it very clear to us. He also says Rahab, the prostitute. And when you look at those two pieces of scripture, we're left with this question. How in the world does a woman whose life and profession is that that is listed in those verses get all tied up and wrapped up and connected into the great people of faith who have followed God throughout the centuries? How in the world is this person, the person that is upheld as one who follows God and does what God says? Because if you and I were going to make a list, of the great people of faith who have done great things for God, my guess is Rahab the prostitute might not make the cut. You see, we have a picture of who we think God uses. We have a picture of who God uses and who God works through. And our picture is that God works through the right people. God works through the right people, good people, good people that come from the right places and do the right things. That's who God uses. That's who God uh, chooses to work through. Those are the people that are upheld as great people of faith, the good people, the right people. 
a number, a few years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, a man by the name of Jim Collins wrote a book on business called Good to Great. And in that book, he gave a picture that many organizations and many businesses have used over the last few years. And he says, if you're going to make a great organization or a great business, a picture that like you're driving a school bus. If you're the head of an organization, you're the head of a business, picture yourself as the driver of a school bus, Jim Collins says. And he said, if you want that trip to go well and your trip to be successful, then what you need is you need the right people on your bus. So be careful who you pick up and put on your bus because that will determine your success. And not only that, he says, make sure that you have the right people on the bus, but then make sure that you have the right people sitting in the right seats on the bus. If you want to be successful, if you want things to go well, get that right. Have the right people. And it makes sense to us that that's how God would work too. Because certainly if you want a successful organization or business, having the right people in the right places is key. And so we would expect God to do the same thing, to go out and find the best people, the right people, the good people, the perfect people, and bring them onto the bus. And so we know the types of people that God uses. God uses the Billy Grahams of the world. God uses the Mother Teresas of the world. God uses the Ned Flanders of the world and brings them onto the bus And those are the people that God uses, the right people. So how in the world does this prostitute named Rahab get herself all tied in and mixed up with all of these great, good, right people? Well, to understand that, you got to start flipping to the left in your Bible. We've been flipping towards the end to the right. You'd have to flip way back to the left. And we'd have to go all the way back to Joshua chapter 2. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we're walking through the book of Joshua together. And we've come to this point where the people, the Israelites, have left slavery in Egypt and Moses led them out of slavery. God parted the Red Sea. You might remember that story. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And now they're at this point where their new leader, Joshua, is going to lead them over the Jordan River to start taking possession of a land that God promised them generations ago. So the people are sitting on the east side of the Jordan River, And on the west side of the Jordan River is the land that is to be conquered. And God's about to lead his people through the Jordan River. And the first city that they're going to come to, the first city that they're going to have to interact with on this campaign is the city of Jericho. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school or you grew up watching VeggieTales, you know Jericho. It's the city with the walls. And Joshua, even though he knows that God is on the people's side, even though he knows God is on the Israelites' side, Joshua still is a good strategist, and he sends two spies ahead of their movement to go and to scout out the city of Jericho. And if you were to read Joshua chapter 2 in its entirety, you would hear this story of Joshua sending out these two spies and the two spies sneaking into the city of Jericho and coming to the house of a woman named Rahab. And just so we're clear, uh, the author of Joshua also gives us the same qualifier. So we know we're talking about the same person. This is the house 
of Rahab, the prostitute. When Rahab sees the spies, she welcomes them into her home. Now, they came into the city as spies, but I don't know if they were the best spies or not, because the guards of the king figured out pretty quick that they had some Israeli spies in their midst. And in fact, they even knew that these spies went into the house of Rahab, and Rahab somehow knew that these people would be coming, so she took the men and she put them on the roof of her home, and the roof would have had branches and stalks of flax on top of it, the, the text tells us. And so she hides them under the branches that are on top of her roof. And then the guards come to her door and they knock. I can imagine they weren't friendly or cordial, especially considering Rahab and her position in society. And they said, bring out the men that came to your home. And Rahab looked at them. It did something unexpected. She lied right to their face. She was probably a pretty good liar. She said to them, those men were here, but they left. Those men came to my house, but they left, and I don't know where they went. And she must have been convincing because the guards leave. And the men come down off the roof. And Rahab helps them escape out her window. And they go back to Joshua. And they say, Joshua, we saw the city of Jericho. It is ripe for the picking. We can move forward with confidence. Because of that story, Rahab is held up as this great person of faith. But here's the challenge that we have. Rahab is not the right person that God would work through. In fact, Rahab is the wrong person that God would work through. And she's the wrong person for at least four reasons that I can come up with. The first reason that she's the wrong person for God to use is that she is the wrong ethnicity. God promises in this book that he is going to work through all nations, bless all nations. But at this point in the story, he is specifically working through his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites. And Rahab is not an Israelite. Rahab is what's called a Canaanite. Rahab is of the wrong people group to be used by God. And the first reason why she's the wrong person to be used, quite frankly, she's the wrong ethnicity. And secondly, there's the reason that Rahab is the wrong person to be used, and let's just be honest about the culture at the time. This is a patri patriarchal culture. She's the wrong gender. If God's going to use somebody, he's going to use an Israelite, and he's going to use a man at this point, we would think. And so Rahab is just, she's the, she's the wrong Ethnicity, she's the wrong gender, but that's not it. She's also the wrong religion. The Israelites worshipped Yahweh, the God of this book, the God of the Torah. And the Canaanites, they were worshipped all sorts of pagan gods. There was Baal, and there was Marduk, and there was Ishtar, and a number of others that the people would worship. And that's who Rahab would have grown up worshipping. And so she's the wrong ethnicity, she's the wrong gender, she's the wrong religion. And... I mean, quite frankly, <laughs> she's got the wrong lifestyle. She's got the wrong profession to be used by God. 
God works through good people who do good things. He doesn't work through people like Rahab. So how in the world is God able to work through and use Rahab so that she is counted among the great people of the faith? You know, one of the things that strikes me when I look at the story of Rahab and realize that Rahab is just the wrong person to be used by God is the reality that in many ways, Rahab is just like me. And in many ways, Rahab is just like you. All of us have plenty of things in our lives and in our background that preclude us from being used by God. Some of us feel like we come from the wrong place. We came from the wrong family. We came from the wrong religion. Some of us feel like we've just done the wrong thing in our life and we've done something so wrong that, that God can forgive us, but he's not going to use us in any way. Some of us, we just have the wrong skill set. We don't have the right tools for God to be able to use us. And when we really look at it and where we come from and what we've been through and what we've done, what strikes me about the Rahab story is Rahab is not that much different than me or you. Because when it comes to God really using something, someone, we're the wrong people too. And so why is it that God can use Rahab? The reason God can use Rahab has nothing to do with whether she's the right or the wrong person. Has nothing to do with where she's been and what she's done and what profession she's had and all the things that she's done in her background. Has nothing to do with what religion she grew up in or what ethnicity she is. The reason God can use Rahab has nothing to do with all of those markers that we might look at to determine if someone is right or wrong to be used by God. The reason Rahab can be used by God is not because of her right or wrong persona. It's because she has the right response to who God is. You see, Rahab's heard about this God of the Israelites. And when the spies come to her door, she's already decided how she feels about God himself. And when the spies come in, before she hides them on the roof or does anything else, this is what she says to the spies. This is Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. This is what she says. And Rahab, we read, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that's Jericho, where she lives, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And now listen to what she says. For the Lord your God, he is God. 
in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And in that one little statement in verse 11, Rahab is making clear to God and to these spies. I may come from this background, but here's what I know. I may have grown up worshiping Baal and Ishtar and Marduk and the other gods my people worship. I might have grown up on the wrong side of the tracks doing the wrong thing with the wrong people. But here's what I know. I heard about your God. I heard about Yahweh. And he is the one true God. Above all these other gods that I grew up worshiping, above all these other things that I grew up doing, he is God. And that little phrase she uses, in all the heavens and all the earth, it's only found a couple other times in the Old Testament, that Hebrew phrase. It's found three other times, to be specific. And each time it's, it's used within the Old Testament, it is used to talk about how God is above and different from any other God. In fact, two out of the three times, it's right there in the Ten Commandments. Commandment number two, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That phrase in all heaven and all earth is right there showing that God of the Bible, Yahweh, is above any other God. And Rahab, in this one statement, even though she's the wrong person, has the absolute right response of faith to God. And God sees that and says, I can use that. You see, the people that God is trying, is, is looking to use, the people that God works through, are not the perfect people because those don't exist. They're not the right people because those don't exist. They are the people who are the wrong people, who have the wrong thing in their background, who have done the wrong thing, who are willing to have a right response to God. A response of faith. A response that says, you're God and I'm not. So whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Jesus came to this earth because we're all the wrong people. If any of us were the right people, he would not have had to come. In fact, Jesus is the only right, perfect person that's ever walked the face of this earth. And he came not for the well, but he came for the sick. You read about Jesus' life in one of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're going to find him hanging out quite a bit with the wrong people. And you know who hated it? The right people. The church people, they didn't like that at all because those were the wrong people. And Jesus would look back at the right people, the church people, the perfect people, and say, you don't get it. You don't understand. All of us, are the, you're all the wrong people. God is looking for people who have the right response, who recognize that he's God and they're not, and they put their faith and trust in him, and then he can work through them, and then he can use them. It doesn't matter how squeaky clean their past is or the present is. It matters what the response is to who God is. Man, it's embarrassing how good the church is at picking out who the wrong people are and telling them they can't be used by God. How we forget that we're all the wrong people.
And people walk into church and they know immediately that they're the wrong people. They feel it when they walk through the door. The whole essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we're all the wrong people and God loves us anyway. You know, there's another place in the Bible where Rahab shows up. And it's one of the places you might least expect to find her. In the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew starts his book out by listing the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the only right person. Right there in verse 5, in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, is Rahab the prostitute. The wrong person who had the right response. You might be sitting here this morning and one of the things that drives you nuts about church people is they all think they're the right people and that they're better than everybody else. I'll tell you what, that's not what this book says. This book says something different. So if it's been displayed to you in a different way, I'm sorry about that. But here's what the book says. The book says all of us are the wrong people. All of us have walked away from God. And the way God chooses whom he is going to use and whom he is going to work through has nothing to do with whether or not we can fix ourselves up and make ourselves into the perfect right people. Has everything to do with whether or not we have the right response to who he is. Whether or not you're willing to declare in your life that he is God in all the heavens and all the earth. That's what matters. Not are you the right person, but do you in your life and in your heart right now today have the right response to who God is? Or are you worshiping something else? We can tend to write people off tend to make the decision who God would use and who he wouldn't. Billy Graham, yes, but you, no. That's not how God works. I'm going to invite Sarah Loy to come and join me. I told you earlier that she's here from the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. And we asked Sarah here not just to tell us a little bit, and Sarah, you can have a seat up here with us, not just to tell us about what the sinner does, but also to share a little bit of her story and what God has done in her life, and also to share a little bit about the work that the sinner is doing in the lives of other women and children. So Sarah, thank you for being here. And please share a little bit of your story with us. Share the work that you're doing um, and, and how God is working. Yeah, thank you. It's a really powerful message, <laughs> um, making me think a lot even about my own journey, and um, a little bit about that journey. Uh, I you'll you'll hear an accent. I'm from South Carolina, originally. We won't hold that against um. you. <laughs> Not from here either. Um, my husband and I moved up here in uh, 2006 uh, to go to uh, Gordon Conwell um, to pursue master's degrees together, and we were um, a part of a counseling program there. And as a part of that program. Uh, we had to complete internships, and my second internship um, ended up being at the pregnancy center that I'm at right now at BCPC, 
And um, little did I know that God brought that into my life. You know, I um, chose to do the internship there, really hoping just to be a source of hope and encouragement for the girls and the guys coming in, you know, who were uh, facing unexpected pregnancies. And what I wasn't prepared for is how God set an abortion that I had when I was 19 in my lap and really said, showed me that I had not, had not dealt with it, had not processed it, had not healed. And God had, God had brought different things um, at different times in grace, in gentleness. <laughs> you always know it's God uh, when it's not a hammer. <laughs> God does it with gentleness. Um, and God had brought, you know, just things along the way. And the center he really used powerfully in my own life uh, to bring a lot of freedom and healing. Uh, when I moved up here, there were a couple people who knew. I mean, the thought of even doing something like this <laughs> was terrifying. Um, and also combined with socially, social, socially debilitating anxiety that I struggled with, um, you would just, this is the last place I'd ever think that God would, would bring me to. And I'm really grateful, you know, for how God has um, redeemed that, uh, used that, um, I hope for others, but also, you know, in my life. Um, and so I am the executive director now for Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices and have been in that role for about five years um, and get to share about the good work God's doing. So what, is, what are some of the things that the center does? Uh, what are some of the, the important pieces of what the work is that's happening at the center and that you're involved in leading? Yeah. So all the services we offer are offered at no cost. Um, we're able to do that just due to people who generously support us. Um, over 80% of our giving comes from individuals. Um, about 12% from churches. So uh, we're able to provide free pregnancy tests, free counseling, you know, helping people process each option. Um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, I know why this person's thinking about having an abortion, um, and we don't know. Every single person is different and unique and, and considering that for a different reason. And so how can we help them process that and unpack that? And we have resources because, you know, our hope is that they'll continue their pregnancies, but many people don't. Um, and it's one thing to say to somebody, we want you to continue your pregnancy, but are we going to walk alongside them? Are we going to support them? You know, it's hard. And so we offer uh, different resources to help. We have a, a baby boutique, which is a free uh, store that gives gently used items. It's open one Saturday a month, and people can come shop and get baby items for free, um, which the uh, Mount Hope Christian Center uh, donated many, gathered many items for that. So thank you. Um, and we have a mentoring program. It matches women one-on-one -on -one with other women till the baby is six months old. And we have uh, what we um, kind of jokingly call MIT classes, but it's mothers and training classes, um, just that offers, you know, information about breastfeeding and labor and delivery and and what happens when you bring the baby home? You know, are they actually going to send this child home with you? <laughs> um, it's scary when, when you're uh, walking, walking home with a newborn. And so how can we help prepare them, you know, for that? And we have a 24-hour hotline, and we offer after-abortion counseling, uh, both individual and group counseling. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing all of that. The, the reason we wanted uh, Sarah to be here with us this morning, and she was in Burlington just a couple of, of weeks ago, is 
to talk a little bit about the reality that these are, these are difficult places and difficult situations. And I think the response that we're called to have as the church is to love people through them. And this is one of those places where the church is great at saying, you're the wrong people, you're the wrong people, you're the wrong people. And you can come walk into the church and your story can be very similar to Sarah's. Okay, and there's, statistics would say there's plenty of us, there's people sitting in the room right now that your story is similar to Sarah's. And you sit there thinking you're the wrong person for God to use because you have this choice in your past that you know the church doesn't disagree with. But that's not necessarily true. It's not about what is in your past. It's not about what you've gone through. It's not about the decision you made. God still wants to work through you and use you if you'll respond in faith to him. And so I think, Sarah, your story is powerful in that, in that way and the work that you're doing. And one of the things I love about the work that the center does that I've been learning over the past few weeks is whether someone makes a choice that you would agree with or someone makes a choice that you disagree with, you're still willing to walk with them through those decisions. And so thank you for the work that you do. There's so much more to talk about here, but Sarah will be available in the fellowship hall uh, after the service. Can you thank Sarah this morning for sharing her story? Being here. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much. I'm going to invite our worship team back as we prepare to close this morning. Speaking about the, the right people. I think probably everyone heard the news that Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord this week. Here's something I found really interesting. Uh, you know, next week his body will be displayed in the, underneath the rotunda of the Capitol. I think he's only the 32nd person uh, that has ever been done for. And so his body will be displayed there. And when you look at Billy Graham's body, you'll notice that his casket is very plain. It's just a plain pine box. And it wasn't just purchased. It was purchased about 16 years ago. In 1995, there was a warden who took over at a state penitentiary in Louisiana called Angola Prison. And one of the things that he observed when, the, uh, when the, he started was they had a funeral for an inmate. And the inmates used to make the coffins. And they started this funeral and they lifted the coffin over the gravesite, and the body fell through the bottom of the poorly made coffin and the prisoners just kind of threw what was left of the coffin in the hole and they covered it up. And the warden looked at that and he said, no more. We're going to make these with pride. And not only did he do that, he also built multiple chapels in Angola prison and God started to do something among the inmates in that prison. And some of you might have heard of the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a part of the Watergate scandal. and was uh, really an all-star in Nixon's presidency. 41 years old and helped Nixon get reelected. But he ended up going to prison for his part in Watergate. And just before Chuck Colson went to prison, a businessman named Tom Phillips, who was the CEO of Raytheon, had gone to a Billy Graham crusade and decided to have the right response to God and put his trust in Jesus Christ. So Tom Phillips goes to his lawyer, Chuck Colson, who's kind of on the edge of going to prison. 
And he sits down with Chuck Colson in his office and says, I don't want to talk business today, Chuck. I don't want to talk law. I want to talk to you about what happened to me at this Billy Graham crusade. And right there, Chuck Colson becomes a Christian. Chuck Colson goes to jail, comes out of jail, starts something called Prison Ministry Fellowship. And in 1997, just after, uh, just after this warden started this new program with all the chapels and the, and the rebuilding of the coffins, Chuck Colson brought one of the representatives from Billy Graham's organization to see what was happening in Angola Prison. And Tex Reardon, who was from the Billy Graham organization, said, we need more people to see this. And Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, came down to the prison and saw the work that the inmates were doing and building these coffins. And they weren't just building the coffins. They were stopping and they were starting their day with prayer. And they were taking seriously the work of building what would be the final resting place for their fellow inmates. And Franklin Graham took one look, this was in 2002, at the coffins they were building and said, we need six of those for our family. And so the warden picked out three men, three inmates, Richard Grasshopper Leggett, Clarence Mr. Bud Wilkerson, and David Bacon. And of the three of those, only David Bacon is still alive. He was paroled in December of 2012. And those men knew who they were making the coffins for. And they prayed, and they built those plain pine coffins. The wrong people. Chuck Colson's the wrong person. These inmates are the wrong people. And when you watch the news story this week and you see Billy Graham's body in that Capitol building and you see the plain pine box, the plain pine box, it'd be a reminder to you. God will use the wrong people to do amazing things. So you're sitting here this morning and you've written yourself off because you're the wrong people, person for some reason, or you're looking at someone else in your life and you've written them off as the wrong person. Would you this morning have the right response to God? Would you this morning start praying that that person would have the right response to God? Because it's all about the response of faith that determines how God can use you. Would you be willing to bow your head and close your eyes this morning? And I'm just going to ask you as I pray to end. I don't do this often, but I'm going to pray very specifically for those of us in the room that are sitting here this morning who feel like we are the wrong people that have written ourselves off. We're happy that we're saved. We're happy that we're forgiven, that God will take us back in, in a word. Or maybe you're here this morning and you feel so far from God. And one of the reasons you feel so far from God is because you know that you're just the wrong person. You'd love to be the right person. I want to pray for you this morning before we go. And everyone's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed. I'm going to look. Just to ask you this morning, if you're sitting in the room today and you're saying, this is where I find myself today. I have had a voice telling me that I'm the wrong person. Today I want to pray that I would not be bound by that, but that I would have the right response to who God is. If that's you, would you be willing to raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. See, that's me the wrong person from the wrong place. There's a number of hands up in the room this morning. God, I thank you 
that you do not choose who you are going to use and how you are going to work based on how good we are because all of us fall short. All of us fall short of who you are and the life that you've called us to lead. So thank you, God, that you are the God of grace and mercy who uses wrong people who have the right response to you. And so this morning, we reaffirm that you are God and you are in control and we worship you and we trust you. And maybe some in this room this morning would say that for the very first time. And God, I pray that as they do, that you would begin a work in their heart and in their life, that you would use them for your glory. And God, for those who are in the room this morning that raise their hands, Lord, with the voice that would tell them that they cannot be used because of who they are or where they've come from, would that voice be drowned out by the truth that you are a God who created them and loves them and who has a great plan for them if they would respond in faith to you. God, give us the grace and the, and the power that we need by your Holy Spirit to respond in faith to who you are and what you say. Thank you for your work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.